We're heading into my favorite time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's your favorite time of year. It is my favorite time of year. Beginning of winter? Beginning of winter. Um, like, I mean, I still consider this like kind of fall, you know, winter is like December. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd say like late November. Yeah. Fall, Thanksgiving, David's Mm -hmm. birthday's coming up. Hell yeah. One of my favorite holidays. And then Christmas and longtime listeners will know that I am a Christmas fiend. (laughs) I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. You do love Christmas. You do. David. David tolerates my I, love I've, for Christmas. I, I've, I've, I find my love of Christmas through you. <laughs> <laughs> I also make Christmas is like a like a ten day event for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of like eating Lots. and drinking and uh, watching movies and just generally, I kind of shut down for like the the ten days around Christmas, basically. Fuck yeah. Like the twentieth to the to New Year's. Don't fucking talk to me. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> What's your favorite Christmas movie? Favorite Christmas movie, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the original cartoon mm-hmm. version, mm-hmm. not the fucking Jim Carrey bullshit. Yeah. All right. Um, it's a good I also one. really like Elf. Yeah. Elf's Elf is re- very cute. That's pretty charming. Yeah, Elf is a cute movie. Yeah. I like Bad Santa. <laughs> Bad Santa's good. <laughs> that was a good movie. Is that uh, Billy Bob? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect antihero. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Die Hard's a Christmas movie. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Chris? Yeah, just Christmas Story. Christmas Story is is you got it. Classic. We watch it probably twice every. Also, Christmas Vacation. Grew up being told that I looked exactly like Ralphie because when I was a kid, I did. (laughs) 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 No, not so much. My mom will. uh, uh, Hi, mom. Uh, Like just um, compulsively quotes Christmas Story. Yeah, all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. It's cool. Like you know, it's all the good ones. Nice. She loves Christmas. She loves story. Christmas story. It's a great story. My dad does yeah. it too. Yeah. My dad compulsively quotes it. Yeah. yeah. Should see what, what it looks like from out here. here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll talk about Christmas later. We have pl- we have a month and a half to talk about Christmas, yeah. which we will. We should do an episode on like something about Christmas again. Yeah. 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 We should do. Oh, we could do a uh, riff track. Of a Christmas Ooh. movie. Ooh. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah, maybe as a bonus. Yeah. Um, there's no good way to transition into the first topic that we're going to talk about in this episode. Well, let's just get into it. So um, this is like this incredibly tragic story of an eight-year-old girl in Philadelphia <clears throat> named uh, Fanta Billity who was shot by police officers um, on the uh, 9th, I believe, And the police officers were at a football game and they had heard some shots fired. They were responding to it seemed to be a gunfight between two teenage boys. And um, the cops just like unloaded on this car that they thought was related to the shooting that was not related to the shooting and uh, killed this eight year old girl. And now the two teenage boys who were in the engaged in a gunfight are being charged with her murder. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, and Fanta's family is, or maybe it's Fanta, I'm not sure, uh, her family is not fucking happy with this. Like, she, uh, the, the mother has said that, like, it is absurd to charge these boys with her daughter's death when she was shot by police in, in incredible, incredibly negligently. Negligently? With negligence. Yeah. So. I mean, 
what the fuck? Like, yeah. so wait, they're charging the, these two children or two young, how old are the, the alleged uh, shooters? Um, 16 and 18. All right, so they're charging these two young men with murder? It doesn't that, like... They, they face first-degree murder, aggravated assault, and gun charges. Yeah. Isn't murder, like, with intent? So, it, this is called the concept, the legal idea of transferred intent, which is that if you intend to harm someone, but inadvertently harm someone else instead, you are charged with intent. So... But, like, the police are the ones that inadvertently harmed this uh, third person. Yes, but if the two... It, but the the logic is that the police would not have fired on the car if it weren't for the two boys engaged in the gunfight. Because the police are like like the weather. They're a force they of nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they don't have agency. Right. That's fucking crazy. Isn't yeah. it wild? That's so wild. Like, how, how... How... I don't know much about policing, obviously. Um, but, like, I would imagine that the... That the burden of proof for unloading, like, an entire magazine into a car would be, like, really high, you know? Yeah. Like, if we live under a, you know... They shot a bunch of bystanders. they yeah, shot, they shot the three girls. other people. Yeah, what? they shot three other people, including the girl's uh, older sister. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. And what about the, the kids? Did they shoot anybody? Uh, one, one person they shot in, like, the side, just like a stray bullet, yeah. Fucking A. Uh, the, uh, That's tragic. Yeah. yeah. The the family says, I want the focus to remain on the Sharon Hill police officers whose negligent and reckless behavior in reacting as they did is what killed uh, Fonta ability. And that from the point of the view of the ability family, these officers killed Fonta and they need to be held accountable for that. And those responsible for their supervision and training need to be held accountable for that. Which yeah. is like, I mean, like, can you imagine if your daughter is killed by police and the cops manage to charge like two unrelated teenage right? boys? Like, yeah. I mean, that's just got to be it's already so fucking tragic. And now you see these kids going to jail for a crime that they didn't commit be because of your daughter's death. And I, I just can't imagine another job where you can fuck up this badly and it's just someone else's fault. Yeah. <laughs> just magically someone else's fault. Yeah. Like, if you forgot to, like, tie up your garbage, and then, like, uh, uh, the garbage man, like, fucking runs over your neighbor's kid. <laughs> like, and they're like, like, well, if you hadn't tied, yeah. if you had tied up your garbage, yeah. that kid wouldn't have been there at the time we were leaving. Right. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. I, it's, uh, and is that like even what they do with like active shooter situations? Is they if, just, they, if they think, if they think they're like getting away, they just like unload on the car. I mean, and this they were something like I think it, it was like 150 feet away or something. Um, and this was at like a high school football game, so there are tons of like young people around. Um, I mean, it's fucked up that anybody was shooting anybody in the first place. Of and, course, you yeah. know, but like I just can't imagine that that's the you know response that a professional there for the purpose of public safety would do yeah especially since like so you know there, there's a lot of focus when you talk about police reform on the training that police officers get i don't really think that that's necessarily the place to make your uh reform because like having just finished you know six something hours of human resources training about like anti-bullying and fire safety prevention. Like, I don't see that as like 
changing like really fundamental aspects of your being necessarily which is really Mm -hmm. i think what a lot of that amounts to um uh but the stuff that they do train on and ostensibly like police officers fucking love is like tactical war game shit and like even that like they they end up just like when something actually happens they just like spray bullets into a crowd is like like, is it like how could this be any better than like vigilante justice? I mean, they strut around looking for the opportunity to use all the shiny toys that are attached to their bodies. So, like yeah. in a way, it's not at all surprising that this would be the response because they're just waiting for, you know, they're looking for a fight. Like they're looking for an opportunity to use deadly force. We see this over and over again with cops. So, yeah. you know, it's I don't think that it's a it, as always with this shit, it's not a matter of training or tactics or reform or anything like that. It's just people who become cops are shitheads. Yeah, so period. End of topic. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah. I'm always you know trying to be solution oriented, and it's like I don't know, like locking their gun like in the trunk or something. Like, it, I'm just trying to think of like something practical that would have, you know, resulted in them not just unloading on a civilian's vehicle and yeah, shooting I mean, like multiple in the, people. In the UK, I think it's, and UK listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like only um, higher ups have firearms and they're uh, always in the trunk of the car. Like nobody care, like no cops really carry guns on them in the UK, um, which to me just seems much safer for everyone involved. But uh, that's, you know. American policing is not really about safety. It's about a the protection of private property and b like the power trip of police officers yeah. themselves. Yeah, the vulgar display of like you know overwhelming violence, like yeah, in the face of any threat to that monopoly. Like if there's anybody popping off, they're going to be like, just do it tenfold. Apparently, you know, lay yeah. down the law. No. Yep. So we'll keep an eye on the case um, and give any updates. But Chris was saying off mic that, uh, you know, speculating on the possibility that Kyle Rittenhouse walks, walks home free and these two boys go to jail for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Wouldn't that just be apt? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems that there's a lot of um, evidence to suggest that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. That Um, judge is off his rocker man not only is he like clearly biased but he also like just like went off on like a 20 minute rant about like screen sh- how to make a screenshot on his phone or something it he's, was like he is he's out to lunch cr- yeah he's crazy man can judges I, be disbarred for like not knowing how technology works <laughs> I, don't I don't know about that i don't but... know how many judges would be left if that were the case yeah like, seriously no, pinch the selfie and it gets higher resolution <laughs> oh right it yeah, does the was... enhance yeah, he thought that it yeah, alters a photo by zooming right. in on by it zooming on an iPad. It, it adds more pixels. Yeah, yeah. Adds yeah. more pixels. And um, meanwhile... Too much get, CSI. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting advertised on my photo editing app for a app that alleges to do that. <laughs> to like, oh, yeah? Yeah, to like create well, pixels there, that, there that, that te- aren't there. there. There is a sort of technology that does that, um, that's like, uh, you know, like repairs photos yeah. by like filling in... You know, it, it literally does that, but that's not the same as zooming in on something. Yeah, like yeah. that's you know, it, it has that's to make a lot thing. of assumptions, of course. You yeah, because like, well, and I would hope that that would never be uh, admissible in a court of law. Like, yeah. I, I would hope that we don't get to that point where we're able to like alter photographs digitally and use them as evidence. That sounds bad. Um, 
but zooming in on something is not not that no oh man so yeah the idea of um bringing a rifle you know packed with live rounds to a protest to police private property from multiple states away one state then, away. He was actually just over the border. People okay. say crossing state lines, but he was like not that far away. All right, all right, fair. I, um, I am. I am now in favor of Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just no, want my, to, my, it's worth being accurate. Yeah, my my, my whole uh, uh, beef with him was had to do with you know like co- the commerce clause in between states. And... <laughs> you know, my whole beef with the whole thing that that keeps me from having like any real sympathy for him, besides you know like the the general facts of the case um is that he went on like a media blitz like immediately after mm-hmm. and did the same george zimmerman shit just like rubbing it in the face of everybody that mm-hmm. like they're heroes in the eyes of all these people yeah. and like you know taking selfies with like the black rifle coffee guys and like just getting doing like, the cro- okay flashing the okay yeah, sign just, like, yeah. giving all this fucking just like shit-eating grin you know, despite having like killed two people. He also did the fake, like, I can, I feel like if you're a child who doesn't always get what they want, you have to learn to cry. And it's clear to me that Kyle Rittenhouse was never told no, because this motherfucker does not know how to fake cry to, <laughs> to literally save his life. Yeah. Um, it was terrible. That was the worst display of acting that I've ever seen in a courtroom. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty bad. No Oscars there. Very low energy. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd think that, like, he just must not be convinced at all that he's going to go away for this. Because, like, he, you, if he wanted to, like, the, the very real threat of, like, life in prison is, like, enough to, like, make me cry. Yeah. Right. You'd think. Like, I would legitimately get an emotional rise out of that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I could also like understand being afraid for your life in like a very chaotic like setting yeah. like where he was. No doubt. And having post traumatic stress from that and yeah. having a very emotional response to having to relive it. But like it's so clear from all of the video and all the photographs after that he was like gleeful over it. Like he was not he did not seem rattled. The police said that he was extremely calm when he spoke to them. And people deal with trauma in different ways. I'm not trying to suggest yeah. like there's one way to respond to trauma. But like in, in the aggregate, there's just no evidence that he was actually emotionally scarred by this at all, except for like this one time when he sobbed on the stand. Yeah. And like couldn't even squeeze out a tear. Yeah. And just, you know, the the facts are dude brought a gun to a protest with the intent of policing in some way or other, right? Like protecting oh, property yeah. and yeah. like basically vigilante justice. Yeah, he like a, he's he's obsessed with cops. That's all he wanted he wants to do. Wants to cop, yeah. cop dick, Yeah, he was he was like he, about to become a cop, right? Like I think we covered that like when it had happened. Like, uh, um, he was, I think he was planning to. Yeah, go, he was. He's, he's a kid still. still. Young, he's like yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's like seventeen or eighteen, I think. Yeah. But like they they have weird fucking like kid cop programs. That's I true. Know. I yeah, saw like do. some children in police uniform like that are like on career track. That needs to be illegal. Yeah. brown shirt shit yeah oh my god but you know um yeah like went there to be you know an extra like volunteer uh arm of the law and uh he's the only person in the entire you know it was like 11 days of protest that shot anyone yep no one else got shot like he shot three people yep unarmed people 
Well, one of them had a gun. And, oh, somebody yeah. brandished and yeah. like fired the gun, I think, before he did, but it didn't hit. I can't remember all the yeah. details about it, but yeah. I just remember like the Reuters news, you know, when I'm making my breakfast was like saying that one of the victims that he shot that still was alive, um, uh, had, uh, apparently had the gun out nah. when he got shot. He brandished it. Yeah. yeah. And then that, that guy is wrong. Kyle Rittenhouse is right. Yeah. Right. Well, nice. there is some precedent for the fact that if you bring, once you brandish a weapon, right. someone no. else That's has true. a right to. That's true. That's yeah. the reason why you yeah. don't bring a fucking gun to a protest. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, it's that real it thing. Like, really if, easy to get shot. Yeah. Like, if somebody pulls a gun on you and you have a gun, you can shoot them in self defense. It's like the way the law works. Yeah. But, like, you know, I don't know. The, the idea of premeditation in the sense of, like, going strapped. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was no need to do that. Um, but anyway, look, there was a uh, Walmart to protect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he was ready to give his life to save $13, uh, pre-torn jeans. Yeah. The from, cra- from the thugs. The, the, oh, the crazy, one of the craziest things about that whole, um, event was, uh, watching the tank roll up to him and like offer him like some water and oh, stuff yeah. like, out of like the loudspeaker and shit. Yeah. Like, no, that was cool. Yeah. No, it's, it's fucking weird. And to which point, you know. In the same way, why aren't we charging the, the, the cops in that tank with, uh, with murder? I mean, you know, they're obviously, like, out yeah, there incentivizing point. vigilantes, you know? Well, mm. that's not really the same thing, but, but I get your point. Yeah, it's a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch. <sighs> all right, so we've, we've gotten all your emails. We've heard you loud and clear. You want a long... Uh, history of South American sovereign debt crises. Oh, also, you've been telling us this all the time. We're going to correct the record. Cooks Saki. So I, I looked this <laughs> oh, up. Right. No, yeah. no, no, no. Speaking of, of people, so emailing I'm not, us, I'm yeah. not trying to say that this person is wrong. That's not what I mean to suggest. Yeah. But so in that episode, when uh-huh. David said Koksaki, I corrected him and I said it's Koksaki because that's what I thought that it was. Yeah, yeah. And then I looked it up and found a couple of blogs like upstate new york blogs where people are like how do you pronounce it and it's i found cocksucker. i found a <laughs> <laughs> and i found a video of somebody pronouncing it and yep. they said cocksacky so well they're not I an don't iron weeds listener and I, that's a good point i yeah. only trust um the 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 true blue yeah. the true green yeah <laughs> right. the world may never know how you pronounce that that town that i've never been to but we, we when have, i was we have been there Wait, that's, have- that's where the uh, the the antique store, that big antique store. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. Is um, in Cooksacky, Cocksacky. Well, Cook-sack. and the other thing is when so when I <laughs> first Cookie moved to sucker. when I first moved to New York and I got a job as a telemarketer, I had to pronounce all the weird little fucking Dutch names of everything around here, yeah. and I had to go through like a crash course in how to pronounce upstate New York name town names, and I was told that it was Cocksacky. All right. Well. And that was from somebody who grew up in the area. Yeah. So now I don't know who to believe. I'm going to believe the Iron Reads listener. Cook Saki. <laughs> All the way. Unless that was uh, Kook, Kook Saki, because you could also pronounce. That's terrible. Yeah. You can't say Kook Saki. No. <laughs> no, that's just no. that's just wrong. My brother uh, used to work at a bar, and uh, he would have, you know, the, the beer du jour on a, on a plaque. Uh-huh. But he'd always, like, figure out... Who is the kook du jour, i.e. the person who is the most um, memorable uh, kook that entered the bar that day. Adorable. Okay, yeah. And that's adorable. tell about me about it later. Hmm. Kook du jour. That's adorable. 
But yes, please. So yes, David, tell know. us about Argentinian debt. Yeah, and how they uh, how they said no, thank you. Yeah, because we're we're we're, we're now, now we're done with electoral politics. We are electoral yeah. politics. Over. Now we're into Latin American debt crises. Yes. This is the natural order. Of this is my favorite time of the year, actually. Yes, yeah, it's the time of year for, for debt crises. So, um, yeah, I went... The, really, the way that this started is that uh, the Financial Times is doing a 30-day, like, free trial on their website. The Financial Times is a great business uh, newspaper that is too expensive for David a was normal like, person David to was like, use. you should get this. You should get... And I'm like, why the fuck do I want to read the Financial Times? It's that such, sounds so boring. So that sounds It'll so help boring. You with your day trading. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and and, and w- so I, I, I got the 30-day free trial, and, like, one of the first stories up there was that Argentina is going through another uh, debt crisis, uh, um, and they're going to default on their debt again. And I was like, holy shit, this is fun. Oh, this is exciting. So I read up a bunch of that, and now it's, now it's time to just kind of go uh, talk about the history of Argentina and how uh, it keeps getting fucked over by uh like anglo-saxon bankers so i uh i wasn't sure where to begin so i figured i i would start in the paleolithic era um (laughs) awesome uh uh, which is the the first time that humans are found in what is presently argentina um it was also the southernmost uh tip of the inca empire right so we got Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. so um uh, it declared independence from Spain in 1880. Uh, it's got it's got a bunch of minerals, uh, um, so you know any empire would love to have Argentina. Um, it uh, it fought like a, a 50 year civil war as part of its independence, so it, it, it became uh, like a stable, um, independent nation in like the 1860s. Independent from uh, what occupying force? Spain. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so th- it is, uh, today the, the largest Spanish speaking country in the world, uh, with, uh, but over six, this is, this was something I learned today. It's wild. 60% of Argentinians can trace their lineage back to Italy. That's wild. So they're Italians that speak Spanish in South America. Hey. And, and, and so like Argentina, I think. Uh, to us stupid Americans are like, you know, it's just like one of those basket case South American countries, right? That, well, because we made it into that. Um, but it, um, for most of the, you know, since its independence and in the early 20th century, it was like on par with the United States in terms, terms of, uh, like wealth and, uh, immigration. It, it was second only to the United States in like European immigration, hmm. uh, in, in the, uh, in the, in the 19th century. It had, it had something like 130,000 people come just from Germany before 1920. Um, and then again after yeah. 1944. The, yeah, 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 there's that, yeah. Well, we're going to get to that. Okay. Don't worry. Okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, um, it, it, and, like, at the turn of the 20th century, it had a higher per capita GDP than the United States. Like, it was a very wealthy nation. Wow. Where, like, people, huh. yeah, like, people had more money per person than than in the United States at the time. Uh, Is that because of the mineral wealth? Yeah, it's mineral wealth. It's the fact that a lot of them are expatriate expatriates from the europe they brought their own well you know they brought like familial wealth uh just somewhere else and and it, um 
uh, and, and it, you know, it was generally kind of like a like a playground for for the wealthy, but it had a fairly decent like multicultural like middle class and stuff. It was fairly, uh, uh, but then the Great Depression happens, and because that they are not like situated such that they could like benefit from World War Two in any particular way, they never really get out of the Great Depression the way the United States did. And so that begins kind of like the, the beginning of their, uh, that, that that's the beginning of, of their like kind of fault, uh, their falter. And then they get uh, um, the Perrones, right? Uh, Juan Perron, who's kind of like their FDR. Mm-hmm. So but, the president of our Yeah, team? yeah. He becomes president in June of 1946. Um, and his, and he rules off and on with his wife, is actually kind of two wives. He has one, and then she dies, and then a second, and then he has a second. Um, and and um, off and on through like the seventies, right? So he's he's a an FDR in the in in multiple senses. In that, like one, um, uh, he has a really smart wife that knows uh, that governs in her own right as well. Uh, so there's that. There's also um, he is um, very is he, popular. He's extremely popular. He's got like a very populist base. Is he paraplegic? <laughs> no, no, he's not paraplegic. Okay. But he, he, he does uh, like have um, like uh, a, a lot of uh, um, love on both sides of the aisle. Let's put it that way. Good for business and the working class. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he has a, um, he does eventually, uh, link up with the Nazis to like allow that like rat network, you know, like a spider network into the, into the country. Um, but before that, so did we, yeah, right. And so did we, it's right. So in that way, he's also like FDR mm-hmm. in that, like through world war two and immediately after like, a lot of the stuff that he him he does either in the Senate or as president are just kind of like power politics uh, with any side that's willing to play with him. Was there like a New Deal esque social the, programs? And, there, and then the New Deal, yeah, there is kind of like yeah, he's trying to get uh, uh, what is sometimes called like um, like a a, a, a socialism in one nation kind of thing. Okay. It's not national socialism, right? <laughs> but it is like a, you know, you're trying to like bring up a lot of heavy uh, taxing uh, of industry. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so his first wife, Eva Perron, Perron, uh, is like widely loved. She has like a famous shoe collection. It's just like enormous. And like ev- everyone loves her. She's like a, a, didn't Madonna play her in some movie? Yeah. yeah. I think, Avita, right? Yeah. E- I did. Eva. I think the movie's called DeVito, which yeah, was, yeah, that, was her, is, nickname. Is her nickname. Yeah, I did yeah, a, yeah, right, a project yeah. in third grade on Argentina, and I'm pretty sure I only did it because I watched that movie. <laughs> and then I was like really disappointed when I had to talk about all these boring things like elevation and climate and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, because she, she is very cool. <laughs> yeah. Very hot. Uh, um, charm. It just charms the pants off of everyone. It's a big reason why... Um, her husband can stay in the presidency for so long is that she's very she's very well loved. She dies in the mid fifties from I think cancer, um, and uh, Juan remarries uh, Isabel, this woman named Isabel, and Isabel Perón uh, uh, stays w- becomes his vice president. Oh wow! So oh, they that's do, cool. They do like a House of Cards thing. Yeah, I like she, that. Be- she becomes his vice president, and then he dies in office after. Uh, a couple of being deposed. I've, I've missed how many times, like the military 
takes it over back and forth. Um, because, uh, again, like he, he let in a bunch of Nazis under Operation Condor and, you know, they you know, let the charge. Nazis in yeah. and then eventually, you know, like they're gonna, they're gonna do Nazi shit and take yeah. you over. Did we ever get taken over by Nazis after Paperclip? Like in an official way? Um, depends on who you ask. Yeah. 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 All right. More conspiracy minded of us would say yes, and we continue to be. Hmm. So then Perone was uh Isabel Perone was was deposed two years later after like there's like political violence in the streets between like Trotskyists and fascists Classic. or like killing each other in the streets. Very Classic. cool. And and it and it's just like it's just like, generally bringing everyone down. Um so wait, there were Trotskyists that were like fighting in yeah. Argentina. Yeah. Huh. And some anarchists. And there's also, like, anarchists in Patagonia that are, like, doing their own thing and fighting both sides. It's a very, like, I, I trust me, like, I want, the, it almost was just this time period. <laughs> and it, 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 is, it is a very interesting um, uh, time period in Argentina. But eventually, you know, because Juan Perón had established what, you know, what are usually called, like, rat lines through the Catholic Church so that Nazis could leave Germany, get a passport in Rome, and then they, they would move to Argentina on a on a tourism tourist passport. Why would these countries want Nazis? Like I know that we wanted their scientists. Yeah. But, yeah. but for, for rockets. Argentina's getting a lot yeah. of just like normal Nazis. Yeah. Well, there's I, probably a lot of Nazi wealth. Yeah, yeah. I mean like there are a ton of Germans in Argentina. Yeah. And so I think that, like, I think part of like it... Like, there was already a large German population, yeah. and so... Yeah, yeah. So, That doesn't explain why Argentina would let them in. Oh, I, th I think it has... I mean, like, if you're Peron, right, and you're trying to claw back some sort of that wealth that was there, like, while you were alive, like, when, when he was a kid, like, Argentina was basically, you know, as wealthy as the United States was. Like, mm -hmm. you, you could imagine, like, oh, okay, well, that empire died and like lost the war but you know like maybe we could you know like get some sort of ties to international capital that the that the nazis still had and he, mm -hmm. and, he's, and he's also like I, I think he's also trying to like triangulate against both the soviet union and the united states and trying to remain uh he's like the the per peron peronistas that have like take over after him in, in like the kind of a political uh, a tradition that he has that's like very populist the idea is like to to um build up industry and become uh largely self-sufficient as as a as a continent mm -hmm. with Ar obviously with argentina leading the way and argentina has kind of always had a, a feeling of like being european yeah like, mm -hmm. like, like other people from other countries in south america will always describe argentinians as like very uh, um, full of themselves, and mm -hmm. they see themselves as as Europeans. So, I, so I think another another thing is, just, yeah, it's just um, I I guess I really don't know why they they would specifically take Nazis, but they they I I, I think uh, I think you guys probably yeah, yeah I think so. Other yeah. than it's you got just some like good, it's, good it's, answers it's, there. Yeah, it's like wealth leaving Europe. Yeah, uh, because it, they lost, and Argentina wants some of that connection yeah. to that to that banking and the, the right. Nazi gold and a bunch of shit like that. Yeah, and a lot of family connections, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. like, imagine being a Nazi and then after you know the end of the war and Hitler dying and stuff, being like, I'm, I'm not a Nazi anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, and just like everybody in your fucking country that like let well, this I happen and like you know fought like to the death almost. To, I understand like, why this. Germans would want to go to Argentina. I yeah. don't understand why Argentina would want to let a bunch of Nazis into its country. They weren't Nazis anymore. They're just they are know, Nazis. Just and... Germans, you know. <laughs> no. The whole fucking country, you know. 
Like you had to be a fucking Nazi at a certain point. Like I don't. There are Nazis, and then there are Nazis. There are people who are in the Nazi who are yeah. members of the voting Nazi party, and yeah, there yeah, are yeah. members of the fucking Luftwaffe and yeah, the SS, yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. you know, it's yeah, because they're they're pretty that's different. Yeah, the people that that the Nuremberg trial eventually finds in in uh uh in argentina are like pretty pretty high they're ss yeah, yeah. they're and, and, and perone himself says some really disturbing shit about how the nuremberg trials are not um are, are like a uh uh are disgusting and, and not like a fair. witch hunt yeah yeah and a witch hunt so yeah i mean like i'm not perone when i say he's fdr he is also fdr in the sense that fdr put like tons of japanese people into concentration camps right right like they're not th- these are these are power politics people that uh have yeah it was uh, eisenhower interest. that integrated all of our nazis yeah yeah right yeah yeah you know like they, these 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 people have power in both camps and just kind of want to like gain power and wealth both for their nation but a lot for themselves too so like that's so we're not you know there's no like star players here really um so uh in 76 you have operation condor where the united states uh is also um uh, kind of helping out with getting Nazis all over South America, right? Which I think is a, another big part of it is uh, not uh, that Peron is saying nice stuff about Nazis to ingratiate himself with the United States. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, wink, wink. Uh, yeah, and that, and that also starts uh, was generally called like the Dirty War in in Argentina, where uh, a, a, a military junta comes to power. Uh, Perón is deposed, then his wife comes back, and then she's deposed. And this, and, and a military junta basically runs Argentina till the early 80s. Um, in, in that time, the, the military junta uh, kills probably about 30,000 people. Damn! Uh, um, it, pretty much all the left-wing elements of the, the Peronistas, right? Mm-hmm. So the Peronistas, you can understand, is like kind of like how the Democrat and Republicans are two wings of a capitalist party. Sure. The Peronistas are uh, two, have two, at least two wings of a very populist party. Okay. So you have, for example, Trotskyists and fascists right and they're and they can both and they can both claim some degree of peronista like there's a big tent movement it's a, it's a big tent <laughs> movement um so so in so you so jesus you, christ so that's a yeah, lot of people right? yeah it, thirty thousand people so, yeah. you can, so you can see like from the 30s to the 70s uh you get like an attempt at climbing back to like first world have like power status with Peron, but he can't like manage to like get in the right position vis-a-vis Germany and the United States to like become like one an, another powerful country again because like the the highest they ever got was like the seventh richest country in the world mm. in the twenties, and then they they kind of they kind of couldn't. Oh, is that it? it seventh yeah, richest? Yeah, just seven. Oh, sad. Just seven. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, also America had the whole Monroe Doctrine, right? So, which is to say, yeah. like, you know, America considered everything in the entire, like, North and South continent as, like, its turf. And um, was, you know, not looking to have its hegemony, like, challenged right. by a economic or political rival. Yeah, and, and until you did have, like, FDR, who wanted to be, like, a good, he had his good neighbor policy. 
was one of the first post-junta presidents um, to have any staying power is this guy named uh, Carlos uh, Saul Menhem Aquil. She usually just goes by Carlos Menem. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, he's a president for 10 years. He looks alarmingly like Polly Walnuts. Who's Polly Walnuts? From The Sopranos. He's Polly from The Sopranos. His la- Polly's name is Polly Walnuts? Yeah, that's, that, that is technically the name of the character. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, this is the shock. This is the most shocking thing I've heard this episode. <laughs> but he looks like Polly from The Sopranos. I swear to God, his okay. presidential portrait. He he looks like he is about to like put that uh, that shiny thing on his neck and like uh, uh, like sun himself in, in front of a in front of a pork store. All right, episode art. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, so this guy's uh, corrupt as shit. Also, like Polly Walnuts, right? Um, he, uh, he does a couple of things. He ties Argentina very close to the United States, more, more closely than any sort of dirty war can establish, which I think is actually why the dirty wars ends is because they can find someone that is, they being the CIA, like install someone that is, um, amenable to a Northwestern capital and is just sort of like ready to play ball. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he um, does one thing called the, the convertibility plan, where he pegs the United States dollar to the Argentinian peso. So just, it, so most, uh, pretty much all the time, one American dollar equals one Argentinian peso. Okay. All right. And that does a couple things. One, it makes, it just makes it easier to get loans from the United States. It allows the United States to um, uh, launder petrodollars. Uh, from Saudi Arabia through Argentina, uh, um, the uh, some of, some of the Contra money uh, for the, uh, for the Iran Contra affair also goes through Argentina for this reason. Like there is a bunch- man, what a useful little country. Yeah, or a uh, useful huge country, <laughs> yeah. I should say. Um, and, and he he also does like the stuff that we now associate completely with neoliberalism, including privatizing all of the. Um, like national industries like the electricity water transportation transportation yeah they all get everything that had been public under peron is now okay the gas industry all all becomes privatized um he uh uh he is president through like i said 1999 and then uh he loses uh is the next election and this guy named rua comes in he's president for only two years and Rua, he's like this moderate conservative, um, and he uh, and his but his cabinet is full of like all these like Chicago boys, like these international financiers that also that have like degrees from American universities and stuff. So there's just like this further sinking in of of uh, Western capital into like the the high echelons of Argentinian politics, right? And so now we get into like what, like how you structure debt in a way that um, hurts hurts some people and helps others, right? You just like make it so that um, who get uh, who if a loan doesn't get paid back, like who gets hurt, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, in previous uh, loans to Argentina, because there's already been many that I that we didn't even have time to talk about, right? Um, They're just big fat like sums of money like loan to Argentina Argentina from a, a a private creditor. You know, a bank just gives them money and tells them to pay it back with interest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and Reagan 
from Reagan all the way through Clinton, that's how they, they gave, like, they loaned money to Argentina, and it was um, uh, dangerous if they defaulted, which they always threatened to do, uh, because, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, if you own a little, if you owe a little bit of money, it's your problem, but if some, but if you owe someone a lot of money, it's their problem kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Argentina owed a lot of people a lot of money, and it was you know, their problem. And so, uh, um, all of these, uh, uh, North American, uh, nation states and European nation states are trying to figure out like, how do we make it so that it becomes Argentina's problem when they owe us a bunch of money. Right. Right. So they're trying, they try to figure out how to start restructuring it. They're trying to grease them. Yeah. Um, uh, but they can't quite do it. They can't figure it out in time. And Argentina, uh, it defaults on a hundred billion dollars worth of loans. What? <laughs> they have That's been, not even a real been, amount of money. They've been it's loaning like, Argentina a hundred billion dollars. Why would anybody? I'm like, why would you loan that much money? Well, this must be like an aggregate, you know? Like, well, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, but so like, it's like. Ha- it's it's like half foreign, half domestic. Okay. So like half, fifty billion off the top is just rich people in Argentina. Okay. So the government owes Argentina like in the form of like bonds or something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah. And then the other half is international loans, uh, mostly guaranteed through the International Monetary Fund, and are mostly held by German banks. Dun dun dun. dun. <laughs> Germany again. <laughs> well, Ger- yeah. Germany's famous for putting the screws to its um, uh, debtors. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. See, see, Greece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's also because uh, at the time, uh, Kohler, who had then become Germany's chancellor, is running the IMF at the time. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, if the IMF is going to loan something out, it's going to be to a German bank because it's run by a German. Right. right. Yeah. Um. So brief interlude about what the Inter- international monetary fund is right it's uh, it's built after world war ii to basically structure global finance um in a way that will help europe and north america <laughs> right um no david it's to help the downtrodden of the world and give them access to opportunity so they can lift themselves up by their bootstraps yeah so, so it's I, the magic of capitalism i, I actually world better I, for everyone i actually grabbed the quote uh, from their website about what the international at what, what the IMF uh, thinks it does, um, it it's working to foster global monetary cooperation, secure financial stability, facilitate international trade, promote high employment, yeah, <laughs> uh, and sustainable economic growth, and reduce poverty around the world. Yeah, see, that sounds great. That's yeah. their mission. Who so doesn't the, want that the stuff? The best way to reduce global poverty is to enable. The um, looting of impoverished countries. Put yes. the poorest countries in the world massively into debt, and that's how you end poverty. Yeah. So, Argentina, over, like, through the junta all the way up to 2001, has accumulated $100 billion worth of debt, right? And, again, half of it is uh, domestic, and then the other half is international, mostly in Germany. On the ground, under and unemployment, like underemployment and unemployment put together, 35%. Holy shit. Uh, 60% of the population uh, were, below, were below the poverty line. 
Hmm. So you go from like one of the richest countries in the world yeah. to one of the poorest after basically Operation Condor, like just wreck, it just loots your country. Fuck. So w- where did all the wealth go? It went to the United States and Germany. Hell yeah, okay. baby. Yeah, We're number right. one. We're number one. Well, I guess, that, I guess that explains the whole why they would want a lot of Nazis there. Is to, <laughs> yeah, to right. steal yeah. all their wealth. Yeah. Transfer it back. Uh, so November, there's a huge run on November 2001. There's a huge run on the banks because uh, um, the government is trying to uh, curb inflation um, and stop uh, money from fleeing the country. Uh, there is that, that one-to-one Argentinian peso to U.S. dollar. They, um, they release that so that they can print money mm-hmm. to pay for things. Finally, yes. That causes massive inflation. Like hyperinflation? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. So you get hyperinflation. Um, I'll, get, I'll get to more inflation numbers later. But here's another thing that I think is, is just like amazing. So the, Argentina is rioting over uh, a financial system that um, uh, where the top 10% of uh, the top 10% of Argentinians <laughs> own 35% of the income. In the United States today, it's double that. 27 people die in these, uh, in these uh, uh, riots, uh, and uh, the, the president resigns. Uh, there then go, comes like a series of presidents that um, are very temporary. For example, the next one, uh, Puerta, he's president for a single day. Oh, no. Yeah. What happened? Um, uh, well, he, he kept doing the neoliberal shit that everyone behind him did. Um, and, he uh, kept doing it yeah, on his yeah, like as in over the course he of the day. Yeah. He did it yeah. once. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, in the one day he was president, he uh, privatized the provincial bank that his own grandfather had founded, and the people were just like, "Yoink!" Ooh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how how does he get kicked out of office after one day? Like, do they like storm the capital? He was, or? An, he was an interim president to go for to go to the next person. I guess couldn't. They couldn't wait a day. I don't. I don't really understand. It's. It is nuts. And I like. I. I tried to get like a timeline of all the different presidents in Argentina, and not everyone is clear who is president all the time. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, sort of Juan Guaido type type event. We'll get to him. <laughs> so, um, uh, Adolfo Rodriguez Sa eventually is president of Argentina for a week. Um, he's the one Adolfo, that, huh? Yeah, yeah, All Adolfo. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's the one that actually. On de- he's the one that actually declares that we are not going to pay that hundred billion dollars. Oh, okay. So that hasn't Based even happened. Yet. So, yeah. So was that popular or not? Popular? Very popular. Okay. Um, uh, he declares a sovereign de- default on the on the national debt. Uh, he's celebrated all across the country. Uh, it is, uh, to date, the highest sovereign debt default in history. Thankfully, I don't know. (laughs) Make, like, (laughs) default on more than a hundred fucking billion dollars. Um, uh, he, he was quoted as saying, the payment of the foreign debt has been prioritized over the debt this country has with its own people. We are going to take the bull by the horns. No, it's, it's super fucked up. I'm sorry. I'm suddenly distracted by the story because, like, this, like, colossal amount of money and debt that's going to, like, sign the fate for all of these people for, like, ever yeah. is, like, not even as much as either Elon or fucking Jeff have right? yeah. personally. Yeah. Like, yeah. that is so fucking that insane. Amazing? Like, it's so hard to, to think about, like, the 
true inequity in like the sums of these fucking assholes. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that is, such, that is such a good point. Like because like, like, Je- they, Jeff Bezos trillionaires. Could, Jeff Bezos could have bailed out the entire country of Argentina. <laughs> And like, still been one of the richest people, probably still the richest person almost at the time. Like, yeah. Oh. yeah. All right. So, um, uh, Adolfo Sa, uh, he was only president for a week. Uh, the guy that comes after him, Eduardo Alberto uh, Duhalde, is uh, interim president for a year and a half. Okay. okay. So, getting right. a little that's longer. Better. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Day. So, we're starting to uh, stabilize a little bit. Um, he uh he starts taking over the negotiations with the north with the, these northern countries uh about how, what we're going to do with this default right so we've, we've def- uh, the last guy defaulted on 100 billion dollars uh so now like who's going to get like whatever we have left because someone's going to get paid back right is this is the thing that i find to be so fascinating about this is that these are all sovereign nations right with their own currencies so, uh, you have to not, so a lot of it is just like, okay, well, I'm not paying it. Like, all right, well, well, you can't like throw a whole country in jail. You can only like threaten to not loan them money in the future or like cut them off from other financial instruments. Yeah, right? you can like, sanction them. Yeah. You can it's like, do... well, I mean, a financial, a lender can't sanction them. No, like, but like, on, you know, so I guess a lender could convince a government yeah, to sh- sanction right. them, yeah, which is the good whole point, which is the whole point of the <laughs> of IMF. The IMF yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. So the, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Duhalde says, um, uh, says stuff like this. Here's a quote for many years in Argentina, they have made us believe that amid this new world order, there is only one possible economic model that is a complete falsehood and he calls the washington consensus which is basically a a a synonym for neoliberalism Neoliberalism, right he calls it a broken model um and they announce this is their opening offer we'll repay 30 percent of principal no interest no penalties or back payments that's what we're willing to do. That is big dick energy. It's such that big is, dick energy. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? like we'll pay, that's we'll how, pay back thirty. That's how you start a negotiation. Thirty yeah, yeah. only principle. Thirty percent principle. Yeah, and we're going to prioritize Argentinian uh, uh, coupon holders first. Okay, so, so pay back the domestic wealth. Yeah. You know, yeah. naturally. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. First, and then the foreign investment. Yeah. So that's uh, Duhalde. He doesn't. He he's an interim president. He does. St- he doesn't stay in for long. I don't remember exactly why. I I think he's like he he makes loud noises, but he's like not a good negotiator. Basically, do you does know he, what his like political leaning is? Is du- that like center left? Okay, yeah. And then comes Nestor Carlos Kirchner Jr. I'm sorry, Nestor Carlos Kirchner Jr. Well, yes. you were really trying to hide that German heritage, weren't you? <laughs> Couldn't get the last name though. Yeah. So, um, right. So, like, here's the thing. Um, he's got a German last name. He's Swiss. Oh. And his family has been here. Has been in Argentina since uh, like the early, very early 20th century. So not. So not a Nazi. Exactly Nazis. Okay. I mean, maybe, like, the family were like, hey, distant cousin that uh, just lost a war, why don't hey, you come Dolfo. join us at, you know, <laughs> <laughs> at the... Uh, We've got to uh, change uh, his name. Yeah. Uh, 
Adolfo? Adolfo? Yeah, yeah come, come hang out at <laughs> sorry, Santa, anyway. come, come hang out at Santa Cruz for a while <laughs> till things blow over. Tell right? us about Nestor, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um so uh Nestor, he's um uh uh he his family immigrated to Argentina with like 130,000 other German Swiss people that that immigrated to Argentina before 1929. Um, he is president uh, from May 2003 to December 2007. That's a good run. Yeah. Uh, in his uh, inauguration address, uh, he advocates for a national capitalism. Hey. Which is yeah, which is it sounds weird, but from a Peronist, it 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 ring it. Someone in Argentina at that time will hear like, uh, um, fuck the IMF. Mm-hmm. Let's get paid. That's that's build up our own build up our own <laughs> yeah. economic system yeah. Yo, independent it's to, it's from. T- it's time to rise and grind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like a national rise and grind campaign. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, He's made, he makes it clear that they would prioritize Argentina's domestic needs over those of foreign creditors, and he he's quoted as saying, it's not that we want to not comply or not pay, but neither can we pay at the expense of seeing more and more Argentines postponing their access to proper housing, a safe job, education for the children, and health services. Um, and now, But now here's the really fascinating thing, right? So it's 2003... Uh, um, w is in office. Love right? him, yeah. Right, big fan. Um, the United States is really cool with Kirshner. Okay, they, okay. They treat him very well. Hmm. Um, they uh, the USA sides with Argentina against the IMF. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So during neg- Argentina's negotiations, um, uh, the <laughs> Roger Noriega. <laughs> It's the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Western Hemisphere Affairs. I wonder who he's related to. Um, <laughs> uh, he he uh, um, he, he, uh, uh, he tells uh, the IMF that it's time to be more flexible and reasonable with Argentina. Okay. okay. A guy with the last name Noriega is saying this. Um, and so, okay, so uh, despite the outcry from uh, private creditors, the U.S. Uh, raised absolutely no objection to that uh, that. that that bonkers big dick offer. Right. Right. Um, and the very next day, Bush himself has a brief 10 minute meeting with Kirshner, uh, at a UN general assembly, um, where he kind of seems to endorse, uh, the plan. Uh, and, and then Bush, uh, meets with, uh, like he's, uh, some reporters here him uh, call Kirshner the conqueror of the IMF. <laughs> oh. yeah, Amigo he, Nestor. Yeah, he goes. Oh, there, there comes the conqueror, of the IMF. You know, he's like, he just thinks, he's, he's like, he thinks he's so cool. Um, and then Kirshner comes back at Bush and reminds him that um, when uh, that Enron only had to pay investors fourteen cents on the dollar. Oh, oh. <laughs> so the thirty, the thirty is actually very reasonable. To which Bush uh, turns to Condoleezza Rice. And he's like, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I'm something of a conqueror myself. <laughs> uh, and Condoleezza kind of Rice is like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's true. That's true. Oh, God. Uh, so in the end, uh, in, so there's a bunch of back and forth. Argentina doesn't uh, get the 30%. Um, 
In the end, 76% of Argentina's default debt was swapped for more, uh, uh, um, for better rates, basically. They basically refinanced. Like they refinance? They basically refinance. Um, uh, so the principal only offer isn't taken up by the no, international no, no, monetary really. fund? No. Um, How did they strong arm Argentina into like. Like what? Well, I, I guess I'm just curious. Like, what does that negotiation look like? like right. So, who, the, so the negotiation. Sorry, what were you going to finish that? Well, like, who is? Can I don't know. I just I don't understand how a sovereign nation negotiates with a, a financial institution via the IMF. On like, I, I don't know. It's just like it's hard for me to wrap my head around what that process looks like, and Same. like, how do they strong arm <laughs> no Argentina into changing their position? Right. Like, how do they do that? So. uh so on the one hand, you have Argentina who has the, like, you, you're going to need someone to pay this. Like, there's just like a bunch of people holding the bag here. You want us to pay as quickly as possible as much as you can get us to pay, right? That's, that's one position. That, uh, you know, that's Argentina's position. Uh, the IMF's position is like, well, one, we're the, we're the IMF. So we can do all sorts of things about like, okay, we maybe, uh, 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 you know, maybe someone else that you want to get a loan from will tell them that we're not going to give them a good interest rate if they loan to you. Uh, at, mm-hmm. Remember, at this time, uh, their inflation is going crazy. Mm-hmm. And the only way that they can stop inflation, because America runs the world economy, is to get more dollars. Argentina needs to get its hands on U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Like in the form of, like, hard cash yeah. currency? Uh, like, uh, like, physical It's called bills? foreign exchange reserves. Okay. So here's what here's where Marxism helps, (laughs) right? Understanding Marx, right? Is that um, uh, Marx says that money is two things. One, it is a measure of value in the same way that leaders are a measure of volume, feet, measure of length, right? So we measure value in currency. Sure. Yeah. 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 But there's all sorts of different uh, measurements for every different country more or less right because you know dollars pesos renminbi whatever right sure so that means that uh the second thing about money is that it also has a use value it is useful in the sense that it is the universal solvent for everything else it helps you buy buy and sell other things so it doesn't just represent value you can use it to exchange value you can you know borrow, build up assets, et cetera. Exactly. Reduce inflation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so um, what, what, when countries trade with each other a lot, they also keep large foreign exchange reserves of each other's currency. So China, for example, just imagine a gigantic vault full of uh, Benjamin Franklin's. But is that really how it is? Like they have a vault of cash? It's got to be digital, right? Yeah. yeah, It's digital now, but, but they have to have dollars on hand and this is why because if you because if china keeps giving us things right you know uh, uh, gives us iphones and uh, and xboxes and Bobbles whatever and, right yeah. yeah right we pay for them in dollars yeah if we keep giving them do- uh, if if we keep giving them dollars and they don't spend those dollars and they don't spend them then the because they they don't need they they have their own currency right <laughs> that that keeps the price of the thing made in China relative to the price that it goes for in the United States. It ke- by holding on to each other's currency, it's basically like keeping it hostage, so that the 
the price of manufacturing and the price of purchasing in those respective countries kind of gets connected. So like if China were to begin spending US dollars as some kind of like to get back at us in sort of like a trade war or something, then that would lead to inflation for us? Yes, because they were to say buy a lot of oil from like an OPEC nation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. So like if because if China gets rid of all of its foreign exchange reserves of dollars, yeah, they flood the market with dollars. And that, you know, and that's supply and demand. The supply goes up, the, the value of that dollar goes down. Right. Right. And so Argentina is pumping, pumping the, its, its money into its own economy to pay for literally anything, but it becomes increasingly worthless because no one else will trade with Argentina mm-hmm. and they don't have foreign exchange reserves of anything else. Ah. So they, there's not, it's like a little really... tiny perpetual motion machine of, of, that's how hyperinflation works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They should have gone long on military assets and deals with OPEC nations. <laughs> right. You know? The fools. There's a reason why. That they put too much stock in uh, Nazi gold, not yeah. enough in, um, yeah, oil futures. It's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, I kid, but this is all like both. W- when you explain it, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, I understand this. But then when I try to think about it in various situations, like, my brain breaks, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how does, I, how does I this long, work? long ago determined that I'm just not smart enough to understand any of this shit. Like, I just don't have the brain for it. It's, yeah. I, I like it's to hopeless. tell myself that I have a moral apprehension to once I finally understand it all, I just, like, reject it all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I keep myself feeling like I'm actually smart. Yeah. <laughs> So the 76% uh, figure seems a lot higher than 30, but there is one cool thing that's still there is that Argentina put forward this uh, this plan, right? This, this payback plan. And I think it was 70% of all of the creditors that are, that they owed money to, right? Had to agree to it for them to even start paying anything. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's. And if, and those that didn't agree to it, just don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, and so who were the holdouts? Who, I, 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 I don't have that that written down, but huh. but there were a decent number of bondholders that just oh bondholders yeah. really who were just like fuck it just, yeah. They, they and ultimately, they were just like playing. Why? Chicken Why would you with choose to not IMF? get paid over get paid some? Because uh, like, I guess you thought that they, you know, there'd be enough people on your side that it would enter a renegotiation that yeah, I mean, would yeah, I mean, include sometime, you. Yeah, sometimes it's bad negotiating. It's sometimes it's you just want to write down the loss and move on. Sometimes you know, like there. That's certain, what I love doing. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I just love cutting and running. <laughs> like, I think there are certain conditions. Where you can be, where it is better for you to write down the loss than than pay like the legal fees and everything to continue. Especially to if try it's to your collect. government that owes you money. I mean, I imagine yeah. that's its own type of legal process. Yeah. yeah, it could also be like you know if it's you know like the United Bank of Switzerland, uh, like like is waiting for five million pesos worth of Argentinian bond debt. They're like, what? Well, do you want? Do we want to spend? Three million trying to get it, or do we just want to say, ah, bad deal and move on? Yeah. You know, so stuff like that happens. Um, so Kirshner is, um, is there, Mark's kind of a return to leftist, uh, Peronism, Peronista. Um, he makes close ties with Lula, Mm -hmm. uh, calls him too conservative. 
Oh, okay. wow. Yeah. Right. Uh, Fighting words. Uh, Evo Morales and Hugo Chavez. So he is part of that pink, that so-called pink wave in South America, which scares, which scares the shit out of the United States. Sure. Because now you have a guy who has, who has a lot of mineral wealth, is like runs a country that has a lot of mineral wealth and owes a shit ton of money to the international financial system. Yeah. Right? Palling around with commies. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who, and specifically palling around with one commie, Hugo Chavez, that has a shit ton of oil. Yeah. Right. So you can start seeing a, like a, a, a parallel economy developing yeah, in the Western of, hemisphere yeah, yeah. that wouldn't need the United States. Ooh, that's no good. Yeah. So the U S is, is, is much more willing to negotiate with with uh with um uh Kirshner to try to peel him off from the Lula Morales Chavez like triumvirate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they they want to align him closer with the United States than with them. So they're willing to give him a, a cut him a deal on a so bunch like of stuff. So like Bush or Condoleezza Rice is like, you know, are we going to have a problem here? Well no, well no, they're they're like, "Oh man, you really got us." Oh man, you, you defeated the IMF. You're 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 so cool. But, but they but they man, evol- you're better than us. And, but, and, he's, and, and, and so to try to like you know to try to like get on his get good on, side. Yeah, to get on oh, his good side. okay. Interesting. Yeah. So um, at the end of October two thousand three, um, Argentina is still the third largest debtor to the IMF um, after Brazil and Turkey. Almost sixteen billion of that debt is to the IMF directly, not just. Um, to like other creditors all around 16% of that is direct to the IMF. And so uh, Argentina's negotiators are um, sort of well aware of like how well they can, they can play with that, with that money and, and leverage again, like, you know, make the West kind of do it, uh, do its bidding or at least get good uh, favorable negotiating terms. And, and, and here's the thing that I think we only find this out later. It's like not at the time that like this is widely known but the IMF itself only has 8.7 billion dollars of precautionary money on its balance sheets really yeah they're heavily leveraged yes they're wow. leveraged so the standard 50x you know yeah i mean this is just what you do i don't understand any of that <laughs> i don't know what that means so the, so yeah so basically like that's the other half of this is like the IMF is willing to negotiate these ridiculous terms because it's fucked yeah it has to get like, the money you, you if, need to start paying us back right now please <laughs> it's like um it's like Artie in the sopranos when he is uh massively in debt yeah and you know he tries to play a tough guy but he he doesn't have a position to yeah and then he gets his fucking shit kicked out of him now on the other side of this is that um because it was like well, the these debts were 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 relatively well spread around to all these different institutions. It was not as dire as it was in like the eighties and early nineties when like Clinton and Reagan were like bailing out Argentina from almost debting because their like uh, savings and loan corporations were like just owned all of it mm-hmm. and and would just go belly up if if uh if argentina didn't pay so um so so it's it's just like a very different financial situation at that time so at home right uh meaning argentina right the the riots in the street the the massive uh wealth inequality and 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 whatnot right um kirchner is kind of like the steam release valve you know he he, uh of smooths over the contradictions of capital 
the revolutionary fervor that's in Argentina is basically getting shunted off into reformism through him. During the junta, that where infrastructure was was privatized, he's he doesn't renationalize it, but he does uh, like freeze prices on a lot of important stuff. So that, um, like, gas prices, like what we're dealing with here, where, like, gas prices don't double. Yeah, and through stuff like subsidization, that. the way yeah. we do it. Yeah, 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 no, he, he just, um, he, yeah, he just says, like, you can't charge more than X. Uh, which is always, which they've done again recently, which we'll get to, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's a temporary measure. Um, what's uh, really cool, though, is that... Um, uh, in May 2002, so I'm backing up a little bit, there is a reform to the bankruptcy laws that in Argentina that allow workers to receive um, bankrupt uh, um, factories that they worked in. Oh. Yeah. So the factory goes bankrupt, the ownership of it goes to the workers they who have an option lost to buy. their job there? Yeah, okay. they have an option to buy. Wow. So, yeah, so uh, so this becomes really cool. Uh, in 2001, there are 3,000 bankruptcies and 10,000 pre-bankruptcy proceedings for, like, factories and, and textile mills and stuff like that all across the, the country. Um, there are three different ways that... Uh, these um, production facilities become worker-owned. One is uh, a national... uh, They become nationalized, basically, and the workers run it and are public employees. There is a co-op system that is um, kind of overtly political, where they um, uh, get, like, they round up neighborhood support for things and and are um, very averse to international um, finance. Sounds pretty anarchistic. And then there is another, and then there's a third one that is more open. It's kind of like Dem suck kind of thing where like they, they want worker control, but they'll, they'll take American money if they're paying. Mm -hmm. So those are the, the three kinds of, of, of options here. Um, There is a ceramics factory that um, there's one really good example where like there's a ceramics factory that um, goes bankrupt. The workers immediately start petitioning the neighborhood around it uh, to say like, we want to run it Um, because uh, workers don't automatically get the factory. They get an option to buy the factory. Okay. Right. And so, uh, and and that option is exercised when it goes up for auction Mm -hmm. and uh, they did so well that no one put in a bid. For this factory. Oh shit. So it just defaulted right to them. And so they got like a, a essentially a no bid factory yeah. purchase. Where, what, what happened was this became that first type where the state just controlled it and they became public employees. Oh, okay. And and um uh and and, appa- and apparently it was it was a very uh like like the whole community was like stoked for, for yeah I, I can't imagine how the social dynamics that take place like in a workplace when you're instituting these types of reforms like hey comrade bookkeeper you're not making any risky moves are you <laughs> wink wink that might put us into insolvency <laughs> wink wink because i've got this whole uh you know i've been talking with the local neighbors and we're all down to not put in a bid at all this place goes under <laughs> So does that okay? So wait, I just want to understand the, the the bit the auction element. Yeah. If a ceramics factory goes bankrupt and the business goes for auction, is it workers are allowed to bid on it, and then a worker owns the factory, or is it that 
the workers bid on it and then they own the factory. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, um, there, those are, so the, if the, if the state buys the factory, then they are just employees. And I think that happens when no one bids on it. Yeah. But what happens right? when someone, and bids when on someone it? does bid on it, it can either just go into that private, those private hands of whoever bought it or the workers can get enough money together to, to bid on it. And then it's theirs. Yeah. It sounds like the co-op model would be yeah. like a whole bunch of workers or, you know, local people with money, whatever that want to have a stake in this thing, but have it be, you know, does, did that answer your question? Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm just trying yeah. to understand like, what is this auction? Is it like a man with a monocle and a top hat? Like, you know, <laughs> I bid 10,000 and then like all the workers are in like a horde and they're like, we bid 11. Like I'm trying to understand what <laughs> right, this auction yeah. process looks well, like and how it is that workers might come to own because, like, here are, like, yeah. you know, for these workers owning the mean of production, obviously, yeah. like, that's the goal. That's what all of us want. But it's not clear to me whether or not this process of bankruptcies and auctioning is, would actually ever lead to that, or if it's just, like, it's just now it's in a different private ownership hands, or it's in the state, right? Like, Yeah. yeah. The, so the, the, the two cooperative models are private, but they are private to like a federation of cooperatives okay. yeah okay and, and there's a similar kind of thing that happens i think in spain and maybe also in italy wherein there's a couple different options for what can happen um if a company decides to like outsource its manufacturing operation for example and one of the things is that they can force the owner to offer to sell their factory to the workers in uh, they the state will subsidize the sale but it will be a privately run co-op with like you know good um uh economic arrangement in terms of interest rates and stuff for the loan Mm -hmm. this is because the state is interested in the gdp staying in the country yeah right so even though they're you know a capital state run for and by mostly other capitalists better to keep it owned by citizens than by foreign interests and and the argument is they can go to the owner and be like well you're ready to pack up and move this is a disincentive for you to take those jobs away and if you think that you're going to be better off to make your goods in indonesia or wherever else then you can now compete us at home then so go ahead yeah uh, Rochester and Cleveland also have these these systems. Where, really? Yeah, where they 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 keep a revolving loan fund, where they will buy small businesses and um and and convert them over to worker co-ops. Oh yeah. shit! If hmm. any listeners know about this firsthand from Rochester, yeah. um, please write in. Yeah, yeah we want to hear from it, you. Yeah, it, it, the, the, that makes up the conclusion of my book is are, are those options? oh hell yeah. Yeah, yeah well maybe we'll have you on <laughs> <laughs> so like uh, so, uh to give you a flavor of like what these two different competing cooperative models are the uh uh the the fabricas recuperados recuperatus sorry um that's the more fabric keepers <laughs> uh, uh, <Sorry. laughs> fabricus <laughs> factory oh okay yeah so, right so, right yeah, yeah. um uh, so th- this is the less 
overtly political version of the of the cooperatives uh their president uh luis caro uh says we aren't political and don't take political positions vis-a-vis political parties and the government this is all blah 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 the key is commitment to the workers to work taking positions against the imf the ftaa bush kirshner etc is not a prime concern rather we are uh, we confront those immediately against us, our struggle is recuperating factories and providing employment. Try to change everything, you change nothing. Hmm. Oh, all so right. I respect. I get it. Right? Yeah. So very, it's very practical, yeah. straightforward uh, uh, thing. Um, uh, the unions in Argentina are too captured by uh, like neoliberal capital to be like connected to any of this. Sounds so, familiar. Yeah, so the labor unions aren't um, really a, a factor in, in, in that sort of stuff. This is uh, all just workers, yeah. Neighborhoods, yeah. So, uh, uh, so here's so here's the the final part that's really fascinating about um, the 2001 debt default, which and which like basically all it, it all resolves itself by like 2005, 2006. Like just, they've just, have they paid it just by in time for the Great Recession? No, they've just determined. They've the, decided what they'll pay into pay. whom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, th- what's really fascinating is that there is a stud. There are a couple studies afterward that I was reading. One showed that this had absolutely no impact on Argentina's ability to get new loans immediately afterward. Like no one cared. <laughs> so it still owes a hundred billion dollars, and it's still people are loaning them yeah. money. Oh yeah, Jesus fucking Christ! Even um, though thirty percent money is the- so dumb, it's not even <laughs> it's not even a well, real thing. So what they they found is that, um, and, and this is not just Argentina, right? Any country that defaults on its loans, it does it is not punished. Like people will still loan them money. The the well, their I mean, reputation is not what. Uh, determines like the interest rate or how how willing yeah, the I think other there's a number of, so of Grecians that would you know uh, <laughs> right. Like, so why does anybody that? pay it if there's no consequences? <laughs> uh, the the um the what does determine um a nation a, a sovereign's ability to get uh, loans outside of itself right is um its short term bond repayment. So, like, if you are willing to say, like, 10 years, 20%, like, it does not, it doesn't matter if you defaulted on a trillion dollars, you will get someone to buy that. I don't understand, man. And it is because um, uh, it, it will always happen if there's a lot of cash in the market, right? It's what's, what is called a, a liquid market. Where yeah. you know, like, there's just Which, a bunch the way, of... by we're in. Yeah, there's just, like, a bunch of cash sloshing around, uh, it, like, in just... Enorm- institutions and enormously wealthy people just want it to go somewhere and they it needs to be earning more money yeah and so they will rather they will they will take the bet of uh, okay so it's like gambling yeah it's gambling. okay that makes sense yeah, then. They'll, yeah. yeah they'll just take the bet instead of keeping it in something safer yeah yeah huh. quick side note did you guys see that indone that indonesia has determined that cryptocurrency is haram yes and islam and it's uh not under Islamic law allowed because it's gambling. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Awesome. I, <laughs> I didn't want I to love d- it. No, I didn't. I'm going to need to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I might be pulling a Cat Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real, right? Uh, similarly, an, another comparative study by a Turkish um, uh, 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 economist, which I'll, well, every there's going to be a bunch of links in the show notes for for all this. Um, 
uh, he found that uh, uh, he compared Argentina to Turkey, which remember Turkey, Brazil, and Argentina have the highest IMF loan balance sheets, right? Okay. So he compares Turkey and Argentina and their recovery after their 2001 uh, um, recessions, because Turkey also had a 2001 a recession in 2001. It's just like one of these perfect like natural experiment things mm. because Argentina told IMF go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turkey worked with the IMF and restructured a bunch of stuff and did all the austerity measures that they require when you take out when you when you yeah they a, fucked over their people yeah. and yeah. And what this guy found was that um, while Turkey got inflation under control faster over the medium and long term, they were worse off than Argentina was in terms of like wealth and yeah. in like terms of everything else, economic stability. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So this has ever since Argentina defaulted in 2001, this has significantly changed how the IMF does business. Uh, the IMF, the World Bank, all these Bretton Woods Convention like uh, organizations, these global finance vultures, like significantly changed how they do a bunch of their work now mm-hmm. uh, since the Argentina um, default. One of them being is I mean it's not better necessarily. It's uh, but um, uh, but uh, it was basically after Argentina, a bunch of like African nations were like, I'm feeling pretty defaulty myself. So now the IMF do, like takes a lot longer to try to like give, give big loans. Usually now what they, what they try to do is uh, like capture a political party and they, mm, and they fund, get somebody and, to work with yeah. and they get someone on the inside. Who, but do, they are they, are lot. they trying to repeat, the turkey example yeah. or the argentine okay because yeah, yeah, i was gonna want, say like turkey. yeah greek greece went the way of turkey in this yeah you know yeah. like and they're still recovering if yeah. you know then some people say they're even worse off than ever but like i don't know yeah yeah so um so Kirshner leaves office in 2007 and follows the grand Ar- Argentinian tradition of uh, letting his wife become president <laughs> next. Man. Hell yeah. <laughs> These dudes are secure in their masculinity. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. it. So I, I forgot to mention uh, uh, Isabella Perón, first woman to ever be called president in any country in the, in the world. What was Ava called? First lady. Oh, oh, she, she, yeah, she, yeah, she, she never, never be, oh, okay. Yeah, she was never president. Wow, she was, worst, she, yeah. w- w- first woman to be called president. Yep. That's some good girl boss energy. Yeah, and then the next one was in Brazil, right? After Lula was jailed. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah Luis da Silva. Um, yeah, so uh, so she's president for seven, uh, eight years. She gets two, two four-year terms. Uh, she also is a very, like, uh, populist, leftist, uh, Peronist... Um, and uh but she she leaves office with some pretty bad approval ratings because now everyone's kind of got like he's like the, you know like there's some there's some stagnation it's not stuff isn't sort of like jimmy off. jimmy carter malaise kind of speech yeah. kind of thing yeah so um uh but she she does like have like some cool stuff where she like doesn't she like stays close to hugo chavez still and does like a bunch of other like you know, like vaguely socialisty things she she she's good um uh, she loses uh, to uh, Mauricio Macri, who is the president from 2015 to 2019. He's very neoliberal. Yeah, uh, one thing he does is he, t- he turns his back on, on on Maduro, so he's like 
reorienting away from this this pink tide coalition and becoming very close with the United States. Um, he's the son of an Italian uh, um, uh, businessman, like a, 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 a developer. It is wild to me that Argentinians are like electing f- but what what here would amount to foreigners yeah. to office. Like, yeah. can you imagine if a like a first generation anything can you imagine became a president in the White House? <laughs> <laughs> be taking answers from the pope yeah, yeah. so mccree is a a total fail son right so he he tried to he's basically like george w bush and he's he, currently president he he no no he he, oh, uh, okay. he left office in 2019 okay okay but he he tried to be like a soccer club owner and failed at that you know like how george w bush tried to you run, mean football run, uh yes football <laughs> thank you yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so he basically sucked at everything and had a shit ton of money. So he went into politics and become president and became president of Argentina. Um, uh, he in, in 2018, so like one of the last years he was president, he takes out the largest IMF loan in history. Oh boy! <laughs> he takes out how much a, is it? A 57.1 billion dollar loan. Oh boy! <laughs> to the IMF again. <laughs> wow. Okay. And now, and here's the really like fucked up. So it's already fucked up, right? Did he look them in the eye and be like, "You know, I'm good for it." <laughs> pretty much, Wink. <laughs> he pretty much did. So it's it, this fifty-seven point one billion dollars is supposed to be distributed over three years. Has uh, very stringent rules attached to it that basically give him cover to uh, do austerity, right? Sure. Uh, um, including game, game, baby. including a commitment to zero deficit by 2019, by the next year. Oh my god. Like, no deficit after, like, yeah, like, all of this foreign aid that they need to pay back. Like, yeah, not happening. Um, uh, so we'll give you money to yeah. give us money, basically? Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, uh, no surprise here, Marcy, or Marchi, however you pronounce it, uh, him and Trump are just like, they love each other. They are just like open mouth kissing all the time. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that for them. Um, the day uh, um, the day after that's announced, um, Argentinian, uh, Argentina's central bank president, um, Nicolas Caputo, uh, resigns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Over it. Um, that's reasonable. Yeah, he's like, th- th- not only is this a terrible deal... It's a terrible deal, but also it like basically doesn't let the central bank like control its own currency now because mm-hmm. it 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 uh, requires um, like all of these austerity measures that so it can't do anything to about inflation or anything it can't do anything. Um, uh, there's a, a a nationwide strike over over the uh, um, over the loan over the loan. Yeah. Uh, and uh and the austerity measures that go with the loan um they the IMF dispersed um 44 of the 57 billion and then macri loses re-election in a landslide and the payments stop ooh uh um in the but what comes due are the payments is he structured it so that he would that so you'd only have to pay it uh, after his election. So if he lost, he doesn't. The next the, guy the is holding the, the bag. Other guy, last guy's next guy's holding the bag. If he if he 
if he wins, he gets time to renegotiate. He can like you know make more kissy faces and, to die and, Trump. And what, the deal I was can conquer that, him again. Yeah. And the deal was that they would only give out the loan as long as he was in office. Like, how come they stop paying right? the loan? Isn't that weird? That's fucked up. Yeah. So, um, just give the loan to the goddamn president. He can pay it back himself. Yeah. So Argentina's foreign minister says um, the loan from the. This is their current foreign minister now says the loan from the fund was very obviously to finance Macri's campaign. The biggest loan in the history of the fund was used to finance capital flight in 2018 and 2019. The fund has a big responsibility for that. There were ad, um, uh, there were inadequate procedures in the fund. So Wait, they use the money to fund capital flight. Yeah. So the, their argument is that like you took out this enormous loan, you use that loan to like liquidate a bunch of holdings, you uh, um, uh, you you just increased all your connections to international finance. You stashed stuff away in the Seychelles or whatever, right? So you just like liquidate and hide it with this loan. Uh, it's a robbery. Yeah, and it's a robbery. It, it, it's 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 so blatant, but simply by the fact that they stopped paying it when he stopped being president. Yeah, that's fucking wild. They just stopped. So now what's happening? So. The current president, Alberto Fernandez, uh, he's the one that beat um, uh, uh, McCree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's sort of a moderate left of center guy. Um, Although he did uh, withdraw the recognition of Juan Guaido uh, once he came into office. Always a good look. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You love it. Yeah. Because McCree was like, yes, yes, it's Juan Guaido because he he loves Trump. Um, But. they they reversed that. Um, in 2020, at the height uh, when the pandemic hits, Argentina has like a mini default. <laughs> this will be their ninth default mm-hmm. in modern history. <laughs> cool. Um, and then pretty much ever since that, they just go hard in the paint for fuck you IMF. So they um uh uh so now they have to renegotiate because they didn't get paid the whole thing. They're re- renegotiating about forty five billion dollars. Right. Um, they, they, they insist that uh, that they cut the rates that it charges, gets gets rid of um, uh, uh, all of the all, like all the fees. It's the same thing. Right. It's just like we'll pay we'll pay back some of the principal. No fees, no interest, not paying any of that. All your austerity shit's done. We're not doing any of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think it's by. Yeah. But, uh, this March, this coming March, March 22, um, they have to pay. 2.8 billion uh and in total in 2022 they have to pay back 19 billion um and argent and the the government's basically saying we can't pay because it's covid yeah that's a very good excuse covid um, has been the best excuse for so many yeah. things and i'm Yo, happy that it's now also listen, an excuse for argentina listen, not i can't pay, pay back our debt nobody wants to work nobody wants to work anymore <laughs> The um they they put out their 2022 budget has zero does not include for, I, for IMF <laughs> zero yes um their sticking points the the you know so obviously like zeroing out 
give what they'll give to the IMF is like a starting negotiating position. They're, they're, the key sticking points is that Argentina, de- Argent- why do I keep saying that? Argentina, that's not a real thing. Argentina demands um, all the surcharges be dropped because they're, you know, it's, they're like, it is bank, it is, the IMF is the Bank of America, right? You know, it's not Bank of America, but it is like the, yeah, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. the Bank of America, right? So, of course, they have surcharges for late payments. They're like, we're not fucking paying that. Get, like, no, we're not doing that. Um, they want a longer time to repay instead of 10 years, which is the standard. Um, and, and they, and they also wanted like, they basically, and then the IMF is like, well, we want to see fiscal austerity again. And they're like, we're not fucking doing that, bro. Uh, so that's Fernandez center left guy, his vice president. You know who's vice president is Karl Marx, his wife. No, it's the other guy's wife. It's Christina <laughs> Kirshner again. What? <laughs> she came back, baby. And she ran as his vice president. Wow. Because she was term limited. But you, you, and like, you want their, more of the Kirshner. Yeah, like in, in their campaign ad, they just like had the middle finger up. And they're like, fuck you, IMF. <laughs> fuck you, international. <laughs> they did run on like, fuck the IMF. Yeah, they, wow. they, they did. They ran on that. Um, and uh, she, she generally goes by CFK. Um, and, uh, uh, because like all bosses, like, boss, yeah. uh, like bosses, you know, like they're going to get a three letter initial. Yeah. Um, she publishes, this was, um, a couple of months ago. She publishes an open letter chastising the president. She's the vice president chastising the president for not being hard enough on the IMF, on the IMF and calls, uh, his own economic policies, a political catastrophe. Oh, oh my wow. God. Yeah. So she's, she's going to. Try and cool them. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, well, well, what she, I, I think they're kind of in cahoots on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you play, like good cop, bad cop. So he can go to the IMF and be like, look, you, you want me gone? Look who's next. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Because, and, and, but also it's to rally around like the public sentiment in Argentina, which like has people saying stuff like this the IMF's relationship with us is not one of creditor to a debtor. It's a relationship of a scammer to someone they've scammed. For us, the IMF is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that was uh, Juan Grabois, uh, leader of a radical grassroots uh, social movement. Um, and, uh, and so now, is leading up to, like, this weekend, all right? This is... Uh, um, Breaking news. Yeah. Okay, so last month, uh, the Pandora Papers came out. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. That, Big snooze fest, you yeah. know, just more of the same. Right. Um, Argentina has the third largest number of beneficial owners of offshore companies behind only Russia and the UK. Oof. Um, every side of the political spectrum is in the P- Pandora Papers. The Kirshners, uh, the, the Macri asshole, yeah, yeah. The, uh, um, the, uh, everyone, just absolutely everybody yeah. is, is, is named in that. Um, the guy that they're running against, like just e- e- fucking everybody. Um, uh, is there anyone like w- within the no. po- politic no. that every oh, everyone okay. has an offshore bank account? God, so nobody can be like, I'm the guy yeah, that's no. like anti, you no. know, corruption and embezzlement. No, and um, there's also there were also photos at, at like the height of the pandemic that got out of like the president having like a maskless party. So and that also didn't look good. Yeah, so basically just us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. All right. Um, 
I'm going to Obama's birthday party. Yeah, yeah. So, um, as of this week, there's going to be, there's an election tonight. Uh, We're recording on Sunday. There's there's an election going on as we speak right now. Oh, my God. In Argentina, um, not for the presidency, but for uh, the Congress. So, a lot of senators in in house. They they have the same bicameral bullshit we do. Midterms. Yeah, yeah. It's a midterm election. Um, The uh, Peronist uh, um, uh, uh, party as of like last week uh was down eight points against the center right opposition. That's not good. Is the center right yeah. opposition like pro austerity, yeah, pro it's IMF? It's the Macri guy. Okay. Yeah. All, right, all right. Um so half of the lower house and a third of the Senate is up for renewal uh uh today. So Interesting. by the time you're listening to this, you'll see if uh the the uh the Peronists that are in power, CFK and Fernandez, if they basically become lame ducks. Uh, because the way that apparently it works in Argentina is like if you don't have pretty strong control over Congress, it's... You no- can do no- nothing. Nothing's happening. I mean, that's how it works yeah, here, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, uh, their midterms happen. It's a great system. We love now. it. Yeah, right? Jeez. Great, great yeah, really glad that we uh, exported that yeah. stupid yeah. fucking model to the entire yeah. Yeah. third world. Yeah, it's like, I. well, you're telling me all about this, which was really great, by the way. Thank yeah. You. It kept me, you know, at the edge of my seat. I was constantly looking for, like, a hero, right? There's no and, hero. <laughs> and then now I'm just like, oh, it's just like us. Like, they're yeah. all just, like, a no, ruling class that, that are all, like, you know, positioning themselves this way or that way on the specific issue, you know, like, uh, you know, making a big grandstand about saying, fuck you, IMF, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, like... Hiding their money in offshore bank accounts. Yeah, and, just yeah. not really interested in the long-term alleviation of the economic privation of their country. Like, that yeah. sucks. Yeah. Um not like I necessarily know if I was in that position, which route to take. I'd probably go the anti-austerity take, but, you know, fucking... Seems popular. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, all all this shit's fucked up and made up. Like, it's just like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just think about how on, like, the global stage, like, the, the largest possible lens you could, like, zoom out from, um, how, you know, what's the global debt clock at right now? Let me check it out real quick. All right. So according to, I'm looking online at the economist.com slash content slash global underscore debt underscore clock for those listening. Um, there's this clock that says there's currently, let me count the orders of magnitude, 60 trillion global debt. $60 trillion of global debt. That's just how much the world owes to itself, basically? Yeah, that's right. how much the world owes to itself. Um, no extraterrestrials, as far as I know. Like, well, uh, in, in, I don't know about that. Involved, you, you have you know? seen yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, right? Yeah, right yeah. <laughs> Zargonians are long on the, uh, the, the gold. They're going long on gold. Uh, yeah, and just how, like, fucked of a situation this is, right? Because, like, the idea that this has right is that 60 trillion dollars of money that these sovereign nations owe each other will be paid back to each other as well as private you know bondholders plus interest right which means that like we need to make more shit every year forever 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 we need to you know make more cars we need to have more you know nfts we need more you know uh fucking 
fire festivals. We just need more, more, more of like everything to pay back all these debts plus interest. And as we all know, and we've talked about many times in this show, um, that's like physically impossible to do forever, right? This infinite growth of uh, the economy, which at least in huge part is based on like a material economy within a finite planet. Like it just can't exponentially grow forever. It's a closed system. Yes. Um, and that, uh, so eventually people are all going to come to the conclusion that on the whole, we're all defaulting all these nations, all of this, you know, large scale debt is going to be in default. Like, what if the planet declared bankruptcy? <laughs> yeah. What if we did that? Well, I think that's like a global debt jubilee. I think that that's like we are actually, past due for a jubilee. So I think that that would be uh, pretty cool. Absolutely. And oh, I guess like the thing that I'm, you know, I'm feeling from the story is that like it's always going to just be like a bunch of sorry saps individually holding the bag in like all the way down the line that we're unlikely going to have like a global debt jubilee right yeah and that instead it's just going to be like whatever nation falls out of favor with the global ruling class like is going to have its population subjected to austerity and the you know privatization of any assets that they hold in common and that this is just going to be the thing that happens in like little spits and spurts all throughout the entire world until like you know <laughs> Until there's global civilizational collapse, you know. Yeah, let, let me let me make a, a, a visual metaphor here, right? Like, let's imagine that there's like a a giant bag of sand, right? And it's a magical bag of sand, right. and, and and there's a, a a new grain of sand that goes in the bag like every second. He's like, you know, looking at like the 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 Economist uh, um, clock here, that clock thing, that yeah. clock yeah. thing, you know, this, this propaganda thing. For, for, <laughs> yeah, this, be, this, yeah, for this really gross propaganda. This, this, it's this like gross propaganda. Magazine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Um, right. Let's pretend. Right. If that's real, right, then it's this magical bag that's growing of sand. Like once, Mary Poppins yeah. style. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, and it and people are just like passing it along to one like hot potato right from like one person to another to another yeah, yeah. and it gets they're all saying we believe yeah well yeah but then also like when there is a, cre a a credit crisis right or some sort of financial crisis uh the music stops and someone is holding the yeah, bag mu right? musical chairs and, with a big heavy bag of sand yeah and and it, as it gets heavier people try harder to move it over and they try to get rid of it faster and it gets heavier and and, and you you get uh and now you like you want to like fucking kill people just so you don't even have to hold it at all or like someone gets crushed by it if they hold it for too long because it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and i don't know it just feels like this stupid clock thing yeah is like it, it, it is it the only way that it is actually real because it's not right is the the way that institutions immiserate other like actual people yeah right correct. And, yeah, and, yeah. and that they and that the, the as the number gets bigger they have uh more and more excuses to do worse and worse things yeah. to more and more people yeah you had a space program now you now you don't now it's elon's okay you have a uh railway system oh nope no now it's mine uh you know and it, this kind of thing just keeps going forever and like that the solution right is to like not pay back the people that own the debt plus interest 
to do what see you that's know, what I've learned yeah. from this episode is yeah. that you don't have to pay it back but no, the trick is we all have to, to do the, you know, they can't it? arrest us all the Nestor move the, the, <laughs> yeah. the um, you know uh, the, we, we all have to give the finger to the IMF simultaneously well and like rich people are great at doing this rich people declare bankruptcy all the time yeah Donald like, Trump did it all the time I, I know somebody I, there's a family acquaintance that I know of these people who bought a really nice condo in a really nice area um, with the intent to declare bankruptcy, like after buying it. And it was during the housing crisis. Yeah, is that and a crime like, by the way? Or is that yeah, like just is. being savvy? Uh, I think it's, I think it's an, a, it's a crime, but it's um, been, I mean, it depends right, so, on so, how it's no real names here. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't get, I mean, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really know these people, Um, but, and I think they're scumbags, but yeah, like it's, uh, and, and like, unless, you know, unless it's like your car or your house, like something, an asset that can be taken away from you if you don't pay. But like student loan debt, it only hurts your credit. And having good credit really only matters. What? No, no, I keep going. Oh, I, I, I was just going to say having good credit really only matters if you need to like acquire assets. So, so if you're not somebody who's looking to buy a house or a car or anything like that anytime soon, there's no there's no consequences for just saying... I'm not paying my student loan debt. There's actually some amount, and I don't know the details on this because I'm not like that wonkish about it, but I've heard from sources that this is definitely a thing. There's some student loan debts that they will actually tax, i.e. withhold from your social security checks. Like there was your social security checks. Yeah, like they take it away from you, old elderly you? people. Yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah, god. No, I, yeah, I've heard that. In that okay, it's, it's like really one dark. of the only actual um, debts that like individuals can't get relief from. Because which of is, Joe Biden. Which which which, yeah. com- which comes down to this whole thing of like it being a political, um, you know, uh, I don't even know what you call a hop fiction. Theory. Like, yeah. well, it, it becomes this thing that like the the only solution to the the the, the student debt bubble is like Jubilee. A, yeah. a national intervention because of the specific things that these um, uh, lenders have made into the law that like they will, we're talking austerity on like a personal level yeah. like, to elderly people, people yeah. who are like on fixed incomes, like who are barely getting enough nutrition. They're like, no, you, you shouldn't have borrowed it. Or, shouldn't have borrowed well, I mean, most <laughs> when you were 18 will be old later and can't save enough up for retirement yeah. now or like oh not even you're not even gonna be able to save anything up if you do save anything up we're gonna take it well when i took out my student loan the the law was that there was a 25 year forgiveness rate that if you if after 25 years you still had debt left don't worry about it um i mean i don't Maybe something has changed in the <laughs> 13 years since I took out my student loan. So <laughs> seems likely that something has. But um, anyway, I don't know. It's a, that's fake. Yeah, fake that's as fake. fuck. Can't think of anything more fake than the global $60 trillion <laughs> of debt. That is like so irritating. That that The fact that that fucking exists. Yeah. And it's just clearly a lie. Like how are they possibly keeping track of all of that? Right. Yeah, how no, are they possibly keeping track of global debt? Yeah, it keeps it's, it keeps going up by like absurd. two million every like three seconds. Yeah, that is fucking that is fucking right wing propaganda. Get like some giant uh, seven segment LEDs, you know, like some like twelve inch high seven segment LED uh, things. I'm just gonna like decorate the room with a giant global debt clock. Be like, just point to it at all times. There's the big national debt clock in uh, 
in Manhattan, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. Some like libertarian thing. Yeah. Put that up, right? Yeah. So dumb. Who so cares? I was, uh, I was just telling David, I followed this uh, historian on TikTok and she was talking about the great, the so-called great resignation. And um, she, she was like, uh, throughout history, most revolutions are accompanied by three forces. Okay. Plague, famine, and a peasant revolt. Okay. And we're at two out of three, baby. Oh, God. <laughs> I really hope we don't have. <laughs> well, I I'm mean. I'm an accelerationist for famine. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking come for my bread, bro. <laughs> uh, well, we'll probably be fine, unfor- well, fortunately for us, I suppose. But, yeah, yeah. Um, Unfortunately that, for our credibility as pro- proletarians. That's true. Oh, God. the Who's the working class discourse? Yeah. I'm so fucking tired yeah. of it. Did you guys see the stupid Jacobin study that no, they released? No. I did, and I agree. It is stupid. It's really dumb. They basically, like, did a whole study saying that, like, w- the working class hates wokeness, but they only measured the wo- the working class as people without a four- as people without a four-year degree or higher. Oh, okay. So literally people so, just who aren't... Teachers, okay. nurses, uh, paramedics, uh, you know... Wait, teachers don't have a four-year degree? No, no, no. I'm saying that they are all not working class. Oh, okay. So the working so, class no longer contains teachers, nurses... Uh, so basically anybody that has gone to a college is not... Any is, person with a four-year degree or higher is not considered working class by this fucking stupid Jackman study. Yeah, that shit ain't real. Yeah. But they use that Which to would make, also mean that, like, your ski-doo salesman uncle that makes, like, oh, yeah, he's working thousand yeah. a year, he's, <laughs> he's working, working class. class. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was just such a, like, political agenda to somehow just, like, punch at, you know, people who speak up for marginalized communities but whatever anyway that's not what this is about this is about a wildflower chris do you want to tell us about this one or you want me to please okay this is this is like near and dear to my heart actually this uh vice has the shittiest website to try to read anything on um so portugal has made it illegal for your boss to text you after work Um, Which is pretty much like what it sounds like. They can face penalties, fines for contacting employees outside of work hours. They can't call you. They can't email you. They can't text you. Can't slide into your DMs. They can't slack you. No. And um, if they do contact employees, they will be forced to pay for increased expenses as a result of working from home as well, such as gas and electricity bills. Um, Banning employers from monitoring their workers at home. Um, and ensuring workers must meet with their boss every two months to stop isolation. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty fucking dope. And I have to say, I had a job once where I was expected to constantly be in contact with my boss. Um, and it was a bartending job, which meant that hours were like always, whenever he felt like, like whenever, yeah. yeah, there wasn't like work hour. Like, I mean, I had my like shift hours where I needed to be in, but Otherwise, it was literally always on. Like, he once got furious with me at, for not responding to a text message at three in the morning. What? Yeah. Um, this guy a coke addict? Yes. Okay. Well, that explains that one. So, like, it's really, I can't even, I didn't realize how much it was putting on me to be always on like that until I wasn't, until I actually got fired from that job. <laughs> um <laughs> And then it it was like, I was like heartbroken that I'd lost the job because I really loved working there. But I was also just like, it was incredible that like, I could just leave my phone in another room and like, go do something. Um, 
And in fact, at one point, I had had a problem where my phone wasn't getting text messages for some reason while I was still working there. And it became like a huge fucking problem because if my phone didn't get a, a text message till like 15 minutes after he'd sent it, you know, it was all, it was like a problem. Anyway, I think it's really great. I think that um, talk all like work-life balance as if it's um, some like unit of measurement of our lives. And, you know, it really isn't because so many of us work jobs that we are forced to take home with us, people mm-hmm. who are working, especially like in the medical field right now, like some things you can't just leave on the table. Yeah, neatly. Yeah, like. in your locker when you go home for the day. But this is great. Portugal yeah. not not letting uh, bosses live in your head rent-free is very good. Hell yeah. Very important. Yeah, really proud of uh, our Portuguese uh, brothers and sisters and uh, non-binary um Siblings. Relatives, siblings. Yeah. Um, uh, it, this is huge. And I think that it's, you know, it's going to be a bulwark for everybody else. Like, I think that this type of reform in the age of uh, the internet is overdue. And I'm here for it. I think it's really big. Yeah. And they say that part of the reason they're passing these laws is to attract digital mo- nomads to the country. So mm-hmm. that, like, people will maybe want to, and I've heard Portugal's beautiful. So hopefully people will want to move there because of its work-life balance yeah, but not so much that they fuck up the rest of the country that you know like, <laughs> don't let in too many of those fucks yeah no i saw yeah. some really bad stuff about the whole worker nomad uh experience as it relates to, like people who are you know doing service work because like i don't know you just get all, this influx of all these like really rich people who have no investment at all in like the Goings on the community. Well, these are like workers. They're they're talking about workers. Yeah, you know, I I hear you. Nomads, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I hear you know, like the whole uh, barefoot writer or whatever. They always advertise to me on on my Gmail account. They're like, "Yeah, wouldn't you like to never have to wear shoes?" I'm like, "Uh, "That does sound pretty good," but first, I'd have to learn how to write. (laughs) Um, but yeah no uh i think that it's a big uh a big thing though like you know we with even if you're not a remote worker like just the ever presence of things like slack etc like i have to turn my notifications off because i have to opt out of them but like you know my coworkers will be updating, you know, Slack notifications into the evening and stuff, uh, which is like fine for them if, if they want to. Like, for example, like uh, I went in this weekend, uh, did like probably three or four hours of work um, because there's an upcoming, you know, um, uh, event that a bunch of my work needs to be ready for. And so I'm just trying to like front load it so that I'm not like stressing at the last moment. Um, but the fact is I chose to do that. Right. And like, you know, when I was working, uh, previously, like during the pandemic and working mostly from home, I had this horrible self imposed guilt thing where I would be finding myself distracted because I'm in my home with like my cats or whatever, any, project i'm working on and then i'd be like oh well i'll just i'll make up those hours like later in the day and like you know the flexibility is good and blah blah blah. but it basically became just a period of many months where i was just never feeling off the clock yeah and i was like always like working or not working and feeling guilty about it and like this sort of just shittiness and then when you know the pandemic rules broke enough that i could be like in the office every day my life was so much better some people need it some people need it yeah like i really really need to be off when i'm off but i'll still go in and work extra hours like if the work's important to me you know and like you know i feel the need to 
always trying to like balance it though with like time off in the future, you know, but uh, anyway. I hate working in an office. I can't do it. No? It's nightmarish to me. I guess I work more I'm in a so warehouse. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm like, I can never shop. feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, the light, the lighting, I've never worked in a place that had like lighting that didn't give me a headache or make me feel sick. Yeah. When I worked as a telemarketer, uh, I went to the doctor because I thought there was something wrong with me. Um, and she, and she was like, no, you just hate your job. Like you just, cause I was physically ill. I was nauseous. Like she was like, no, you just hate your job. It's probably your office space, which was a very dreary cubicle in you know, an office with fluorescent lighting and like a computer screen in front of me all day long. But no. Yeah. I, I I uh much prefer working from home. Different different strokes, well, as what, they say. But what if you had to work for a boss from home? Um, that, that might suck. That might suck. Like I, I I could see being an entrepreneur working from home or an independent contractor or whatever as being like a little bit more or actually substantially more like freeing than having someone else being like, are you actually working right now? You know, yeah. like at all times, you know? Oh God. Yeah. No, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I, when I was doing audiobooks, it was almost like having a boss because I had an author that I was working for mm-hmm. and I was on a deadline and she had a way that she wanted things done and, you know, so, but I can't really uh, imagine what it would be like to be like a traditional office worker working from home right now, but I will still say that I think I would far prefer it to being in an office, especially because of the fucking commute. I hate driving, Mm. waking up early, Mm. waking up early enough to like sit and have my cup of coffee and then like get dressed and go to work and have to have clean clothes all the time. Like I can work in whatever clothes I want. This is all getting very, uh, (laughs) <laughs> far hey, afield of the hey, story but this is this is uh you know sign of the times we're yeah. we're, we're we're you know we're in the story you know <laughs> <laughs> well good job portugal yes good job portugal uh, what like, what if your boss isn't in the country do they have to do they get like extradited to portugal to face mm. charges face tra- <laughs> for, for slacking you That's off a good hours? question what if your boss was an algorithm. <laughs> Everybody's get, boss is an algorithm. Would they yeah. be reprogrammed? <laughs> <sighs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Iron Weeds. We do hope you enjoyed it. Um, I know I learned something. I, I, I learned something. I learned in, so in many teaching. things. Uh, email us if I got something wrong. I got. I, I did a lot of research, but, you know, I was, you always fuck something up. Yeah, you spent like two days on this topic. Yeah. And then even more because you've been reading throughout the week. So yeah, I yeah. guarantee you fucks hang up because yeah. just diving into the political minutia and <laughs> history of the economic relations of a foreign country. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little difficult. It yeah. would be pretty shocking if you yeah. didn't get at least one thing wrong. Yeah. But it was very good. Well, if someone caught it, let me know. <laughs> I, I love it when people say I did something wrong. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Uh, if you want to tell us that we did something wrong, you can uh, tweet at us on Twitter. <laughs> at Ironweed Spot. You can uh, send a selfie. To <laughs> comment on one of our pictures on Instagram. Ironweed Spot. And you can, of course, send us an email to tell us that we're wrong or just to tell us that you like us at Ironweed Spot. At, at gmail.com. Thank you so much. We love you. Bye bye. Adios. Peace. <laughs>